Well, round and round we go. We uh, change the venue from time to time these days, but back in our uh, one of our favorite venues, Studio 49 here at the Gallagher Business Building on the University of Montana campus. It's time for the business angle. Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor, joining us. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm good. You know, I can sort of do this on any court. I feel like, you <laughs> know, good. home court advantage is not really a thing. I play well here. I play well at your <laughs> shop. Um, maybe we do it elsewhere. Maybe we'll do a live session someday. Let's do it. I would love to have that happen. That sounds uh, very fun. Uh, we're happy to be back uh, down here. If you haven't heard, big football game coming up uh, this weekend. And so this is always really fun when we get to talk about the business and uh, marketing elements of the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, we had a fun guest earlier this week, Ted Dawson, who's a mentor of mine, a guy who's a uh, TV journalist who... Uh, so many TV journalists in Montana start their careers here, especially yeah. the sports world. <laughs> he ended his career in Montana. He had, he'd worked in L.A. and Dallas and, and all over the country in big markets. And uh, he had called 27 Super Bowls. And wow. he, in the, the the famed picture of Vince Lombardi in the locker room after Super Bowl one, the young man holding the microphone is Ted Dawson. Wow. He ended a, he ended his career in Bowles in Montana. And uh, so he was the first guy to ever put me on TV. So we had him on the show earlier this week to tell some stories. But he was talking about how... Super Bowl one, there was twelve credentialed media members. Wow! There, <laughs> and now wow. there's like hundreds and hundreds, if it's not like even twelve a, per player. Yeah, probably. exactly. If, right? Maybe more. He was saying you know, the first Super Bowl was at the L.A. Coliseum. Mm-hmm. They only sold like half the tickets. Yeah, like the, it's just crazy how much this has grown. And fifty-seven years of Super Bowls. That's a it's a long time and not that long of a time either to just see the way that this thing has grown. I think that the NFL sort of saw what it could become, but I don't know if anybody imagined that it would be as big as it is now. Oh, certainly not. Um, It it has just become its own cultural force. Um, And we've talked about it over and over and over again. It's just, it's, it's, there's, there's dimensions of the product that enable it, I think, to have such resonance, but um, they've also just tapped into so many dimensions of our cultural psyche. And you now have an event that has transcended just sport. It is, it is a global event and it attracts interest from people that really don't even care at all about football. In some ways that is, I think, a problem with the viewing experience that the crowd sure. just doesn't really seem like it's a part of the game right. when you're watching the Super Bowl. I've never been to one. Um, I'm, I suppose it's a great experience, but it's not the sort of partisan fan experience that we've come to come to enjoy all the way to this point of the game. The neutral field is kind of this this weird thing that um, changes the dynamics in, in a way. Can you imagine Phoenix this weekend too? Because Phoenix is the host of this and it's yeah. also hosting the Waste Management Open simultaneously. For those that don't know, the Waste Management Open is the largest spectator attended golf right. tournament. It's like a NASCAR race mm-hmm. basically. It's like 400,000 people there uh, at the Waste Management Open. And there's one other important person coming to Phoenix as well, right? Which we'll talk about in a moment. Kevin Durant just got traded. <laughs> Maybe we should go to Phoenix this weekend. We should have planned this out earlier. Cheap flights out of Montana. But actually, I don't know if I would want to be around 500,000 extra people descending upon what is already one of the five biggest cities in America. Yeah, probably not. That's not <laughs> doesn't seem like my jam right there. <laughs> no doubt. Well, Super Bowl commercials this year cost mm-hmm. between 6 and $7 million. Yeah. I remember when it, they first went over a million, and that was not that long ago. It hasn't just been, you know, the 57-year history of the Super Bowl has not been uh, associated then with these massive jumps. It's yeah. gone from a million to seven million in maybe 15 years, maybe less than that, mm-hmm. maybe 10. Uh, so interesting to see. I mean, what do you think of just the sort of exponential growth of this costs for these commercials? 
You know, it, it's 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 hard to get your head around. I mean, you understand the growth of the NFL as a media enterprise and sort of the value of advertising in an NFL game relative to any other TV event. I mean, we talked oh, a few weeks ago about what was it like nine of the top ten uh, rated sporting events of 2022 were all NFL games, right? Um, and so that tells you, like, if you're going to spend a dollar on television advertising, the NFL is the only way to only place to spend it. They have For kind sure. of relative monopoly power in a way. That said, I, I feel like television, we're kind of at this shakeout moment for, I think, the advertising industry in general. We saw, you know, with kind of the the downturn in the, the, the tech stock market that the people are sort of starting to question the efficacy of the, the digital ad um, business model. Yeah. Um, Why do you think that is? You know, I think it's, it, I think that that model is, is effective in the sense that you can target particular people with a particular message at a particular time. Like if you want to get targeted advertising, if you want right. to pick certain people and get them your message, digital is the only way to go. Facebook, Google, whatever. Sure. Um, there's but, also there's also like the e-commerce side too, right? Where it's instantaneous. Like true, they present a good to me that I'm gonna maybe click on, and then all of a sudden I buy, and so they can directly track that Instagram ad led to me. Exactly, that like shirt. Instagram's a great example. The yeah. way they've engineered the consumer experience is is it's wonderful. It's also arguably predatory because <laughs> sure. it works so well, and so that's a great way to spend a dollar in terms of advertising. But I think like you're so inundated it inundated with it all the time that that it kind of loses its marginal efficacy. And, and I worry, I don't worry, I think the same thing with the the NFL and the Super Bowl ad, like the $7 million for a 30-second spot, that's just to get you in the door. Right. That's to buy the time. And the cost for actually producing an ad of quality that is um, commensurate to that space far exceeds that. Right, and so the, the amount of research, there's there, that that makes it such that only a very few types of companies can afford to even play in that space. The Cokes, the Pepsis, the Fords, the Budweiser, the same all players, right? Right. It's, it's at this point, it's, it's just become a flexing contest, right? Exactly, and it's almost noteworthy if one of those big companies doesn't do a Super Bowl ad. It totally. almost generates some more attention. So. As far you know, it's very imprecise. It's casting a wide net. It's just massive, but it's it's an opportunity to reach a bunch of people. And you know, we talked offline about like this notion of releasing ads ahead of time, and mm -hmm, that's kind mm -hmm. of become a thing, right? Um, and that's a way for these ads to kind of maybe get some pop up over and above the seven million dollars thirty second spot that they're only just going to see see once. Um, and I think that helps kind of generate. You know, complements the social media side with the, with the the traditional media side a little bit. The business angle, Justin Angle here on Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. Uh, the I'm so fascinated by the, the phenomenon of this because there is no other day or time or event in which millions of Americans say, "I can't wait to watch something on TV because of the commercials." Right, right. We're always trying to avoid the TV yep. commercials, even if they're subversively uh, somehow getting to us, anyways. I just I don't know how this happened. Is it because the TV commercials are always so quality, 
or because we love something to talk about or because it gives maybe non-football fans a conversation piece? I mean, how, how did this happen? Yeah, I mean, there's people that tune into the game just for the commercials, and that allows them to be a part of this event. Right. right? You can have a Super Bowl party, and half the people can be there to watch the ads, and half the people... I mean, you could play like musical chairs, right? The ads come on, and half the crowd <laughs> leaves, and the other people come in, That's and, right. and you make, right. make up whatever stories you want about who that is in the room, but it happens. And that's a way for the for, for the event to hold people's attention and more people's attention. And so now the question is like, can you be effective? So you can certainly there are great examples of very entertaining ads, mm-hmm. funny, emotional, well produced, memorable. Um, but I think there is a risk that in, in pulling all of those levers to make a memorable ad, you can overshadow the message and messages, hey, buy my product, right? You, you want people right. to be aware. Well, you want people to be aware of your brand. It's sure. hard to call them to action in the 30-second Super Bowl ad. But you want people to be aware of your brand, remember it. And a lot of times these ads are just so powerful emotionally, whether it's funny or something else, that you kind of forget what the actual brand was. As somebody that works in advertising, I think about this all the time. In terms of exposure, brand name recognition, and yeah. awareness, there's no better place to advertise than the Super Bowl. In terms of actually, like you're talking about, though, a call to action, it seems very uh, muddled. I mean, the, the 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 cryptocurrency ad from last year was just the, the QR code. I thought that was the uh, greatest yeah. Super Bowl ad I've ever seen because you actually could have people clicking on the QR code and going to your website. Exactly. Is anybody going to go buy more? Are they going to run out the door and go buy more Coca-Cola right on the spot because they saw the commercial? I really don't think so. No. The efficacy of those ads is only to the extent that it reinforces existing brand associations. Like, it takes a good story and perpetuates it. Um, You know, and and, uh, research is showing more and more that the cheaper and more effective way to a loyal customer, a customer who will buy once and keep coming, mm-hmm. is through word of mouth marketing, right. word of mouth approach. So, so I think like the that's harder work to do as a marketer. It takes you know kind of more of a ground game, so to speak. Um, but it it ultimately leads to better results. And I think it's a bit of a distraction as far as the conversation at a college like the University of Montana College of Business. Like very few of our students are going to work in a firm that will have a Super Bowl ad consideration. Right. right. Um, so they need to learn kind of the... I'm using these football metaphors, man. They need to learn the blocking and tackling <laughs> That's of right. good That's right. strategy and good marketing, much more so than analyzing Super Bowl ads. Although it's, you know, it's it's much like the point about who watches the game and who doesn't. Like, you know, I'm sure next Monday, most marketing classes in this building will be talking about Super Bowl ads because students watched them and it's a way to have engagement and you know there's important lessons to draw there but how generalizable they are to most students eventual working experience probably very little the pros of having the super bowl commercials online are obvious the repurposing of any sort of content to a different way for people to consume it that that's sort of one of the keys to modern media right totally are there cons well um it's not like you're gonna have less people watching your Commercial, right? I mean, it's, yeah, just, it's just inherently more people. There's cons in the sense that if you've already seen it you, you, and you know it's coming, you might be more likely to go refill the the French onion dip during that sure. when that adds on. That has trickle down effects as far as the ratings go because they can capture ratings of these ads as well. Um, you know, sometimes uh, you know, much like a, a movie, there's what the critics think and what the actual viewers think and how aligned those are. 
You know, I think another interesting phenomenon in this space is, and we used to see this with like players like PETA, right? Mm-hmm, You'd mm-hmm. see articles that the PETA ad was banned from the Super Bowl or X and Y ad banned. And that's just a guerrilla marketing technique, right? The, right. They never intended to buy a Super Bowl ad, but getting a story on BuzzFeed or where sure. USA Today yeah, yeah. that their ad was banned, it gets people interested. Like, ooh, that ad must have been pretty saucy. I'm going to go <laughs> check that thing out. And so they probably get more play out of this sort of secondary effects of pretending they were banned rather than actually making a, a trying to actually do a Super Bowl ad. It's amazing the way the advertising works. I think about this with myself as an advertising subject all the time. And, yeah. You know, it's amazing the things that do resonate that don't. I couldn't even tell you any Super Bowl commercials, <laughs> but maybe that's just because I'm watching, watching the so game many. and probably during the yeah, ads you're right. jotting down your analysis. <laughs> you're trying to prepare for your show. That's exactly right. Justin Engel here on Nuwana's Now, the business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, I feel like there's been all sorts of different genres of artists that are performed at halftime. Mm. They've been t- catering sometimes to the boomers. There was the Bruce Springsteen, you know. Then you had, like, the Jet Xers with the Prince. And uh, yeah, then you've had uh, sort of the almost millennials, like the Gen X millennial crossover with Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and all the hip-hop guys last right. year. But now we just have a straight-up, real-deal, in-the-moment music superstar in Rihanna. So uh, is this just a, an effort to have it be all-encompassing, or what do we think of this choice for the Super Bowl halftime show? Yeah, it's pretty non-controversial. There's no nostalgia, really, because she's still like famous in this moment. She just released a new album. Yeah, she's got crossover appeal. For sure. It appears to a pretty wide generational um, range. I think it's a safe choice. It's not a vanilla choice by any stretch. Sure. I mean, she's got some edge to her, and she's got some backstory and some ups and downs. There's some. There's a dynamic story there that I think people of, of from a variety of perspectives can tap into. Some older folks remember kind of the Chris Brown, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah the, the, all that um, bad stuff that happened there. But then younger folks are into her music too. Like my daughters listen to her kind of from some of her music from, uh, I think it was Sing. Yeah, yeah. She did a ton of the music for Sing. And mm-hmm. so they, they have on ramps to her as well. So as far as, you know, Super Bowl halftime show, you, you want it to be safe and to be, yeah. uh, well, safe is an interesting concept. <laughs> That's right. You want it to have broad appeal. Yes. You don't want to be narrow in its in its appeal. And I think Rihanna's a good choice in it, that regard. It seems so interesting to me, too, because it seems like no matter who appears on the halftime show, there's going to be criticism and scrutiny. Oh, yeah, and almost always it's negative. Yeah. Because I guess somewhere along the lines, the consuming public missed the memo that playing in a 100,000-person football stadium is not going to be the same quality of a concert as going to an actual concert yeah. venue like a Red Rocks or something and seeing it. And uh, then think about it, like, uh, as a journalist, uh, like, is there any return as a journalist to saying that was an awesome halftime show? That's right. Like, it, it, nobody's going to pick that hot take up. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I loved Adam Levine with his shirt off. You he know? was like, great. <laughs> it's, he it's, really hit the notes. It's so all true. The notes. It's so true. So then on that note, then, is, is this an objective boost for the artist that performs at halftime, even if there is massive scrutiny that comes along with it? I think so. Yeah, I, I think, think so. so I mean, who cares what some talking head thinks about about your Super Bowl halftime show. If, if your fans 
like it and you reach new fans. And if, 50 million people are watching. Yeah, if you, if you do the thing you're supposed to do well, and that is sing your song and perform it, then it's going to have good returns for you just because you've cast such a wide net with it. One uh, common theme here on the business angle has been uh, the sort of uh, normalization of sports gambling. Mm. I read earlier today that they're anticipating $16 billion yeah, yeah. are going to be bet on this game. I think there's actually a lot that goes into that. First of all, it's the normalization of, of sports gambling, but also this is one of the most even matchups of that I can remember in the yeah. Super Bowl. And so the line is only one and a half points in favor of the Eagles. So you got people on both sides pushing this thing because neither team is a decided uh, big-time favorite or underdog. And so... I don't know. I, I just think it's. I think it's fascinating. The, the, just the way that this whole thing has evolved, and the and the uh, there used to be this omnipresent fear that the normalization of sports gambling would then cause all sorts of untort behavior, and for whatever reason, people just completely don't acknowledge that fear anymore. It's fascinating to me. I'm not saying anybody's going to rig the Super Bowl. I'm just saying it, this is just a, the latest example of just how normalized it has become. Yeah, the cynic in me says the fear was manufactured, right? Sure. It, it, was, it was just manufactured resistance by the NFL in order to get to a place where they were ready to embrace it because sure. change change takes a lot of time, but then it happens really fast, yeah. right? And that's what we've seen in this instance. I think about kind of the um, the story of seatbelts. If you, you remember the story of seatbelts with Lee Iacocca and Ford? Kind of. So anyway, like market research, this is when seatbelts were coming out in the early 70s or late 60s. And the research showed that customers were not interested, were not willing to pay the additional amount that it would cost for manufacturers to put seatbelts in cars. Wow. Even though the manufacturers knew at that point that it would increase the safety of their products tremendously. And the automobile industry, kind of led by Lee Iacocca at that point, kind of colluded to keep seatbelts out. Like, we're not going to introduce these things because we can't raise our prices enough to recover the cost, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then, as much of a leader in that collusion as Lee Iacocca was, he was the first to cheat. Mm. And then once he cheated, like, all of a sudden, seatbelts... <laughs> We're in. And so I think that's kind of similar. I mean, I don't, I'm not making any accusations of collusion, but sure. like the NFL resisted for a long time. And for whatever reason, they say the fear of the integrity of the game, but like that fear evaporated as soon as they let it in. Like, sure. Okay, this is a huge money. They want a piece of that 16 billion, right? right. And they want to, what's from their standpoint, it's like, what's better that we let this happen in our orbit or that we, control it and get as big a piece as we can it's it's endlessly fascinating because there was a whole bunch of poor officiating calls yeah. in the championship games particularly the afc championship game which then of course cued twitter to say this is all rigged oh yeah and uh i actually think that there's more potential validity to pro sports being scripted than people give credence to but i also don't necessarily know if it's the buying out of the referees as much as just the uh, the crafting of the storylines. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it is. a like you know what that looks like in the back room. You right. know, who calls who and who says what? Like, okay, you know, lean on the Chiefs or whatever. And what does that look like? Um it's it's hard to imagine a scenario where like that many people can kind of pull off a conspiracy and sure. keep it secret. Although I do think it's possible that like, you know, gamblers can get to one particular referee or one or particular player sure, or whatever. Yeah. I think there's 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 reason for concern there, but that concern has always been there. The stakes are a little bit higher now though. For sure. When it comes to just the the we always see then 
when big sporting events happen, the winners, sometimes the losers, but mostly the winners, become then the darlings of the moment. Oh yeah, and we best see team the, ever. You know, right? And we see this in in, in the in the Olympics a lot. Uh, you know, with the the, the female gymnasts, and uh, but we also see this with. Super Bowl and especially the quarterbacks. Yeah. And so it just in terms of the the marketing power behind the result of this game, what's a better storyline, Kansas City or Philadelphia? It's I, I mean I think to your point about the teams being evenly matched yeah. on the betting lines, like they're evenly matched in terms of storylines and the, totally. I don't think either has like the the hero story that an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady or some of these more I mean Patrick Holmes is on the He's sort of an iconic player at he's this stage, there, even sure. though he's relatively young. But he it, it, that sort of explosiveness and the uh, um, kind of he's one of those few athletes that you can you're not you tune in because you might see something you've never seen before. That's right. There's, that's a short list of, For sure. of people who captivate an For audience sure. that way. You know, and I think like both are kind of interesting media markets. They're not the largest, but they're not small. Right. And they have a very dedicated uh, fan base that is, um, that kind of makes this story especially compelling too. And Mahomes is already on such a huge platform too, right? I mean, he's already one of the most endorsed guys in or I guess the most one of the most biggest endorsers of NFL yeah. players. I mean he's on in commercials all over the place. Yeah, and he's he's lost more than he's won at yeah, this right, level. Right. At the same time he's been to this level so many times sure. so at, at such a young age. And so I think that the the sort of immediate upside I think I think like Kansas City's window is probably tighter than Philly's. That's right. Philly's on the rise. Kansas City's been there for a while. Yeah. I think like if, if you're trying to maximize a return, Kansas City probably has more of a return to maximize because their their downside risk is higher at this point. The business angle here with Justin Angle, it's a Super Bowl edition, but we got to talk one thing that's not Super Bowl. Uh, in a, it, I don't know if this was planned or just coincidence, but the NFL always is stealing from the other sports in terms of stealing the spotlight, yeah. even if it's not a prime time. But this week, the NBA did the unthinkable, and they stole the spotlight from the NFL for a couple minutes Twice, I guess now three times because Kyrie Irving got traded to the Dallas Mavericks a couple days ago. Then LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record, and then Kevin Durant got traded mm-hmm. last night. And this is pretty good for the NBA in terms of the exposure. I mean, usually I can't even listen to sports talk radio during Super Bowl week because you already by Thursday you've already heard every single take rehashed a million times. Today I listened to it all the way down here because they were talking about Kevin Durant and the Phoenix Suns, not the Super Bowl. That's amazing. It's a big deal, and it's rare that you see trades with the potential to completely change the competitive landscape of a league overnight. Yes. And that's essentially what's happened here. I mean, Kyrie going to team up with Luca is potentially, you know, power shifting there. Yep. Uh, the Suns ne- needed a player to get him over the hump. They've been super close, and, and Durant could get him there. And just the notion of like the whole super team that the Nets were supposed to be, just the, the owner and management there just completely surrendering. Like, this did not work, and we're going to scrap it completely. So a lot of interesting storylines there, but I think that the bottom line is it gives fans a real reason to tune in sure. for the last bits of the season and the playoffs, because it's going to be different. From a business and finance standpoint, too, we're also seeing now the first uh, rendition of the uh, 
s- sort of the the I don't know fallout's the wrong word, but the the um, the things that can happen from these gigantic max deals that yeah. these guys sign. Mm-hmm. When the super max was first introduced, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Russell Westbrook all signed these deals. Well, then you saw Russell Westbrook not be Russell Westbrook, and he's gotten traded five times. Yeah. He's going to be on his five, fifth different team since he signed that deal because nobody wants to pay him $50 million this year or next year because mm-hmm. they know he's not worth it. Exactly. So they keep moving the contract around. It's the same thing with now Kyrie Irving because he was just so unavailable in Brooklyn. Durant's been playing. He's still worth the money. Uh, that's why the Suns went and took on that contract, even yep. though he's going to be making $53 million by the time it's done. Uh, it's just interesting to see the way that these contracts have evolved as well and how if you get one, teams are willing to take it on if you still perform at that level, but how if you don't perform up to the level, all of a sudden we got to get rid of this deal. Yeah, and there's not there, – the, the pot in the NFL is not – it has a bottom. That's right? right. There are limited resources here, and teams are – teams are still wealthy. These are still big amounts of money, but I think they're – they're being forced to the, the other like I think you painted that picture well. The other side of these max deals yes. is a pretty harsh reality for sure for the teams and, and it can be for the players too. Um, you know that kind of commitment on your balance sheet is is a big deal, especially you know if that players if that player is not performing and you need to use those resources to get other players like that's you're stuck and you got to offload those people and you know oftentimes there's enough suitors desperate enough that they'll take you on for a shot at, at making something from nothing there's an automatic out to the nba because on one first of all uh there's not the dead cap hit that exists in the nfl right, and right. also there's the luxury tax yep and if you're willing to pay the luxury tax like the warriors have for many years in a row it doesn't matter send me the bill we'll write the check yeah. it's all good Whereas, like, you look at the Denver Broncos right now, Russell Wilson has a very uh, Russell Westbrook-esque contract right yes. now. But if they were to get rid of him, it'd be $105 million of dead cap hit next year and 85 the year after that. Mm-hmm. You can't just eat $190 million of credit of your franchise. So at the NFL, you get even more stuck. Yeah, a- absolutely. And so those kind of constraints, I think, make for... Um, you know, I, th- I think the sort of legacy of failed contracts in the NFL, outside of injuries, because injuries are sort of a random shock, um, not totally random, but sure. um, more so in the NFL, the, the the kind of legacy of these, you know, awful contracts chasing a player around don't exist quite as much in the NFL as, as they do in the NBA, um, because those max player contracts are such a liability over time. My eternal question remains, when is it ever going to have a, a, a end game for the exponential growth to end? It's just amazing. Like, you know, in 15 years, are guys just going to be getting paid $100 million a year? Uh, we'll see. I mean, we see more and more that the, there's decline of viewership, particularly sure. among young people of professional sports. It's most salient in baseball. Uh, we've talked in this segment often about the risks that are facing the, the NBA. I think the NBA has diversified itself in a way that is not consistent with kind of the the market position that they've tried to I- encourage their players to take. Um, so I, I think pr- it does seem like pro sports is, is an unstoppable juggernaut. Yet at the same time, I think there's evidence that cracks exist and, and those need to be paid attention to because they're real threats. The Business Angle with Justin Angle here on Nuanas Now ESPN Radio. 
What's coming up on a New Angle podcast? You were cutting some promos when I came in here. Sounds like an interesting one. That's right. Next week, we have Mariah Gladstone. Mariah Gladstone is um, Blackfeet in Cherokee. Um, she lives in Kalispell and up on the 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 um, in that zone. She is the founder and proprietor of Indigi Kitchen, which is an online platform that seeks to help people re-indigenize food systems. So return folks, tribal folks in particular, to their ancestral eating eating systems and eating habits, um, whether that's where you get your food, how you prepare it, et cetera. And so she's got an amazing platform, a great audience, and she really threads the needle nicely between an educator um, and somebody who can motivate, but also somebody who's an activist and carries a very, um, you know, she talks about some very serious topics of, of decolonizing a food system um, that need to be taken seriously, but she does it in a way that's welcoming and not um, adversarial. A new Angle podcast, as well as the business angle here on Nuwana is now both presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to learn how they can help you, whether you got a small business, live in a rural community, need fiber, anything like that, goblackfoot.com. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks.